Okay, we're all good. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. You're listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. My name is Daniel Pitwell here with Simon Blaney and this is episode 84, Make Your Sales Operations More Effective. And today we are joined by Bill Rice, CMO of ProPair, who is going to help us try and set out some effective tips and ideas for you. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you all? We're good, thank you. Well, I say we're good, actually. Um, just to give you the context, you can't see here, but it is horrific weather in England, not to be a cliche, but it's sort of that depressing grey that I think uh, is making us all feel very sleepy. So we're going to inject some of your American spirit and try and pep us up, I think. I'm not sure if I'm going to be helping you because I'm I'm from Michigan and I, I think we're uh, we're we're uh, sister weather here. <laughs> yeah, it's not been great. But other than that, we're very good. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. How's uh, how's everything going today? Wonderful, wonderful. We're, we're doing well. We're um, we're in the trenches uh, with the, the the market around you know B two C all these different verticals. We're um, I like to say we're in the trenches with our our clients and and just trying to to figure this thing out and make some revenue while everything's messy. Amazing. Well, with that in mind, we'll uh, we'll dive in. Um, let's uh, let's start with you. Um, what do you do? I know I introduced you as the CMO of ProPair, but I think there's a few different areas you work at. So you could just give people listen a little bit of your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super passionate about, you know, B2C lead generation um, and appreciative of you guys having me on here. I've been in, in and around this industry for 20 plus years. Uh, both uh, my, my background, my heritage is, is mortgage lending. Uh, so being operationally inside of those organizations then inside of lead generators. So today, uh, my primary focus, uh, I own an agency, which I've owned for um, just over 15 years, uh, and that agency is focused on generating leads, consumer direct, sort of a turnkey marketing department for mortgage lenders and law firms. Mm -hmm. And then I also do uh, fractional executive work. Um, and so you mentioned uh, ProPair. So ProPair is a machine, uh, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning decision platform um, that lead buyers are using to optimize their lead management sales operations. Uh, leveraging that machine learning and I'm the chief marketing officer there so that's a a big part of uh, what I do as well brilliant it's um <clears throat> one thing I've wondered just uh, before we get into anything is um what you count as lead management I guess is that is it more because we've called Dateable in the past a lead management system but actually we're more of a lead distribution system because we don't operate on the sales side like the, the you know the um agents would interact with it's just a system that would drive data into a crm or a, um, a dialer how how do you see lead management yeah this is kind of a, an interesting question because there's some history here if you go back um so way back in the day when i started kaleidica we actually started uh, as a software company and um, i had operated in really large uh, call centers for mortgage and, and saw this problem of lead distribution and managing those leads. And so, so if you look at the Wikipedia page for lead management, I wrote the original concept for lead management and I might've done it as a disservice. I'm going to, I'm going to have a look at it. Is that still live now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's been obviously um, edited many times since, but the reason that I wrote it was because, and this, this is maybe the short answer to the question. When we went into the market, um, the only thing that people knew was CRM. 
And my argument always to clients when I was talking to them, because they were lead buyers, and, and this was a really new industry, you know, 20 years ago, um, and people were just starting to buy pay-per leads, you know, on a performance basis. And I kept telling them, I was like, you don't need a CRM because you don't have a customer relationship. You need a lead management system to get you to the relationship. And so for me, lead management is really, um, you know, once that lead is generated, that that journey all the way to revenue, right? So uh, lead management is, is probably a larger concept than it's become. Now it's become, hey, this is a sort of a, a mini CRM or they're getting very sophisticated, of course. But um, but yeah, I, I probably like you, I, I have a broader definition of lead management. So the moment that that consumer shows intent, um, that life cycle um, is you know how you manage that lead, how you manage that consumer. And there are a lot of activities and there are a lot of areas where that consumer can fall off. So trying to get from, from show of intent to revenue is I think that's why I've always found it fascinating. It's a enormously complex system, yeah. <laughs> an ecosystem, right? Yeah, exactly. So would that would you um, <clears throat> would you include like a dialer within that then or not? Yeah, I think the lead management system itself. You know, um, there's been some softwares that have done some some good things, and I think as APIs become more open and and uh, available, um, you'll have you know potentially this sort of Slack like system where you you hook in all of these features and functionality because originally, I mean, even the lead management that we built back in the day, you know, generally all it did was intelligently, once you received the lead from wherever you, that source was, it would intelligently route it to a salesperson. Um, and then ideally, and this is what I thought we did a little bit uniquely, we would then continue to tell that salesperson which of those leads had the highest probability of success, which is why I got involved in ProPair because they were kind of, they finally had the, with AI and machine learning, had the technology that we were kind of just writing rules around. And a lot of people still do just write rules around to try to think about um, what's the sort of the best next lead or next activity to, to do. Um, but I think all of those other things that now, um, and wow, we could go off on a super tangent. The consumer behavior is just changing, right? Because originally all you were trying to manage is trying to help the sales agent or the loan officer or whomever that, that salesperson is effectively make and land a phone call and have a conversation to take some form of application. And now today consumers are just, you know, it's almost foolish for a sales operation to believe that a consumer is going to one, pick up the phone on, a, on an inbound call, even if they know who you are, and then sit still for 20 minutes and allow you to ask them a bunch of questions and take an application, right? Everything has moved towards scheduling. People like the convenience of a text or an email so they can control that scheduling, schedulers. So all of those systems, um, dialers included, because dialers are still effective. Like when do you make those calls, making sure the salespeople don't miss calls and those sorts of things. All those components uh, need to be snapped into to whatever that that baseline lead management system is, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's um, I think that's a really good segue, but into my next question, which is just something to bring it back to the podcast title and sort of say to you, um, what are some of the ways you think to make uh, sales pops more effective? Yeah. So whenever I'm thinking of, you know, sales operations or, or, or making these more effective, 
I, I kind of break it down into sort of four areas, I guess. Um, lead distribution, I think is critical. Like what do you do with that lead when it comes into the organization? Um, this is where lead management as a term gets a little bit cloudy. So I call it lead management, but it's sort of that that initial outreach and sales cadence, um, which probably mm -hmm. needs to leverage automation. And then there's a third component of what do you do with that lead when you think that it's dead? Because I always say a lead's never dead. We just stop talking to it, which is a bad thing, right? So it goes into this lead nurturing sort of activity. And then the fourth one, ideally, you would never have this if you've kind of set up everything properly, but it, invariably it happens. And that's what do you do with aged leads, right? Things that are just sitting at the bottom of the barrel, or you've even uh, acquired um, that. So so that's the, the four components that I'm looking at. But but the one thing that I always advocate is whenever you build a system or you have a lead management system, despite however diligent you are, it probably doesn't actually behave the way you think it does or the way you designed it. So I'm a big advocate of bringing in um, ideally a third party, because I think you never do a good job of this yourself, but to truly um, audit what is happening in that system today and then delineating what's working and what's not, right? So you can get started on sort of optimizing. And, and then as far as what you do, you could definitely drill into some of the, the, the common things that are happening in those four areas. But I think that always has to be the first step is, is really getting a baseline as to what's really happening inside that, that system you've created. Yeah. It's um, <clears throat> one of the things that we find is, and this probably happens within the lead distribution element that you've mentioned, um once you dig into it is let's say you've got like your average conversion rate so you've come out and you know you've got some reasonably high intent leads and you're looking at the end of the month of a 18 percent conversion rate um and if that's hit roi what most companies will do is like great that's fine now we can just move on to the next month and so either all those leads just get put into like a cycle where they rest it for a month and then might dial it again for a month a month later which is like a very typical scenario um or in a worst case scenario is they just drop it because they've hit roi and it's now let's just buy some more leads and we'll just keep you know filling the leaky bucket and as long as we hit roi but then if you look back at all these leads where you know you've got a um 82 non-conversion rate there's probably a bunch of leads that you could never sell to anyway as in even if you could contact them for some reason or other they could never be your customer you know, right. the wrong person, like they haven't been verified or qualified properly or whatever. Um, and then there's a bunch of people who, like most of us, are not in a buying stage at that moment. Yeah. But in three months or six months, we potentially could be. And so oh, yeah. all that money just gets wasted um, yeah. as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and this it's kind of interesting um, I guess there's two points to be made there. One, when I was operational inside of lenders, one of the things that I saw is some of that behavior is also driven by the individual sales agents um, th themselves, right? So once they hit quota, <laughs> so one, th one thing that we always saw is once they hit quota, then they literally stopped doing sales and then went over, in the case of mortgage, they went over um, to the floor where all the processors were 
and then just beat the living crap out of them to get their loans to close, right? Because that's when they realized their commission. And so you really only worked, you know, your sales operations only worked for like the first 15 days of the month. And then they were trying to squeeze, um, you know, their commission check at the end. And so it's it's really hard to to kind of control that behavior or, or overcome that. And then the second point, um, which before the call started, you had asked, you know, some of the insights that we've seen using and applying artificial intelligence and, and uh, machine learning into the sales operations. And, and one thing that I think is, is a really common, um, and, and this is just because this sort of technology wasn't available. So we use proxies, right? But one thing that's really common is we will buy, and you even said this, I, I think on one of your previous um, podcast where you'll buy from multiple sources. That's a best practice for sure. And oftentimes the way that lines up is that you'll, um, you'll kind of have a premium lead provider. You might have an aggregator in there. You might do a little bit of direct mail. So you're going to have some dissimilar lead sources. And what you generally end up doing because of that ROI equation is you do look at the data and you see how that performs and you say, hey, you know, this top tier lead provider is my best lead. And the proxy you're using is the company, the brand, right? Or the channel. But what we've discovered is if you look inside of each of those channels, there is a very uh, specific um, and uh, predictable distribution in there. So you could buy co-reg leads and there's going to be a small percentage of those co-reg leads that are the best lead you have coming into your organization. But you will necessarily say that's junk, right? Or if you're buying age leads, like you said, hey, because of that particular consumer's you know, where they are in the process or, or where their intent has changed over time, there could be an age lead that's sitting there that's six months old. And right now they're the best lead in the organization and where AI and machine learning helps is by looking at that historical data, they can start to be able to look at all of the leads, something that we can't scale and start to bend those up or start to put those into to ranks in a predictable fashion, predictable of close. And then what you can do is then you can start, instead of looking at all those channels holistically, you can actually look at your leads, you know, on an individual basis and bend them up based on their probability of closing. And that's, that's really the big effect that I think will become a core feature of lead management in general, because if you can do that, and if that is reliable, which we do see it's predictable and we always run we run a, a control case where we don't do that. And then we run the actual machine learning algorithm. And we see consistently 20 to 30% lift in that conversion because you're doing a different set of sorting. So if the technology is available, it becomes, an, you know, at some point it'll become a baseline. But right now it's, it's a huge competitive advantage when you're trying to figure out in your database, like what's probably going to close. And therefore, what do I, you know, I can make decisions based on how I want to handle those leads instead of just saying, hey, you know, lending, um, you know, lead provider A is always the best. And that's not true, right? We, we know I, we, I generate leads for a living too, and not all of them are great, right? So, and that's just, and a lot of that's driven by consumer. Some of that's um, driven by the way that we have to change marketing tactics, or we have to, um, you know, as advertising shifts, um, then we have to make some shifts sometimes in order to make profitability and those sorts of things. So that's inherently going to create a distribution in those sources. So I think it sort of feeds into this idea that like not all leads are equal as well. And, and by that, what we actually mean is 
like literally the lead isn't always equal so it could yep. be from your best performing channel um yep. but there might be a lead that's just coming from your worst performing channel which is actually better than the average Absolutely. of the best lead and so if you can't necessarily react to that you're always you're always working to the channel rather than working to the lead effectively totally and it's and it's it's and i would i would say this and this is kind of interesting because you you can actually apply this and kind of take a look at historically and and so it's not theory anymore like like i said when we were early on building trying to to tackle this problem we were writing rules and we were sort of guessing and we were using um you know big proxies into the data but now um with the ability to just process and analyze data and and now you add you know, machine learning concepts to that um, that are that are battle tested. This becomes fact, right? So it's it's almost silly um, not to incrementally use these kind of technologies to to see that difference. And that's really that's really the first step is to see the difference. And then from there, you can make all kinds of clever decisions, right? And you can you can decide how you want to route them because then the second step we talked about this whole journey being really complex and there's lots of rooms. Uh, for things to to fall away or you to impact yourself. So another common thing um, sort of related to that is also uh, important to understand how this affects sales performance, right? So if you take your top tier, and I'm just going to kind of give a potential type of decision that you could make. If you take your top tier lead provider or what you think is your top tier best performing ROI, and you say, oh, well, I just want to give that to my top performing sales agent, right? And what is that based on? The units they produce, the dollars they produce, who knows how that was produced, right? I mean, you probably have some indication, but if you shove all those in, one of the things that we've often found with the top performer is one, the top performers are typically outliers. Uh, they typically um, are uh, not entirely or, or carefully following your sales process because they, they've already, the reason they're top producers, they've already got their own discipline. Um, so they're they're probably an outlier and they probably don't need your best lead, right? Or you can get more ROI out of the organization by using that talent to work on your middle tier leads because we've actually seen that as well. Top performers often will have a better incremental impact on middle tier leads than you giving middle tier leads to middle tier salespeople, right? Because that's just gonna, there's no, there's no advantage there, right? So you can do, really interesting things because inside and, and the other, the last point on that, that again, some interesting things that we've seen inside of those sales agents themselves, you, you may batch them up. Hey, these are the best performing because they, they generate the most units. They generate the most revenue. There's also a distribution in there, right? There are certain leads they do better with than others. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you give them, you know, their sweet spot, they do well. The other ones, especially in the top tiers, they just toss them on the floor because they don't need them, right? So anyway, there's all kinds of interesting thing in sales performance as well. We did some machine learning with, um, <clears throat> we did it with a few clients that, um, similar to what you're mentioning. So there were two th sort of things that came out of it for us. So one is, um, and you guys must do this, you, you need a huge amount of enrichment on a lead. Like you can't just use the information in the lead. There's not enough there's not enough data to work like correct signals from. Um, and number two is exactly what you just said, which is we were trying to, we were getting leads in, clarifying them as a score of like propensity to convert based on all the other information that we had of you know, tens of thousands of sales in the past, over-indexing or not against leads, trying to enrich them where possible. 
delivering them in and then working out exactly what you just said, what agent should this go to? The problem we had is, exactly, it's funny you mention it, exactly what you just said, which is every single lead was like send to this person. Right. It's always the same person. It's because yep. they were, you know, I think we ran it. There was like, it was one company, one of the tests we ran that had four or five different call centers around the country. And we were trying to work out like where to deliver leads and whatever. And each of those call centers had like one or two people that were exactly like you said, were just outliers for whatever reason, they were just markedly better at their job than any of the others. And so then it becomes, okay, well, you're going to have to work out a different um, solution for the rest of them. It's a, it's a tough thing because it almost creates another problem in itself, doesn't it? Which is, well, how do we use it? Exactly what you said. How do you use this information to bring up the yeah. whole organization, not just a couple of individuals? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mo- Sorry, go, go ahead. I was just going to no, say, the problem comes back to this thing of what we found is in certain organizations, they're so, it's like being on a hamster wheel of sales. So they can't get off it enough that they won't stop giving their best agents the best data because they're right. paranoid of the potential repercussions. But then yeah. what happens is the worst just get worse and the best yeah. just get better. And the, yeah. you, you know, you have to find a model to change that. Yeah. Yeah. I think early on, and, and I would, um, you know, you guys had a different experience than, than we're having. And I think that's, you know, probably data scientists talking to data scientists, but there is a, a, a probably a, a common mistake that's made in there. And, and I'm sure we made it early on and we've made some adjustments um, to, to that. So one thing I would say that's interesting is that we've found there is a, a, a consistent and a level amount of incremental uh, performance enhancement by ranking or binning, however you want to characterize the leads. And we can do that predictive work within the confines of the lead information itself. We're, we're just now, believe it or not, trying to test if we can get more, because we've, we feel like we've started to, to understand where that ceiling is within the confines of the, of the lead itself, right? Without any way enhancing or adding additional data. So now we're exploring uh, potentially adding the the data, and there's some nuance to that. I think probably what you experienced is something that we um, have had to kind of um, check uh, with ourselves and the clients, and that is just given the initial results, our inclination because of loss, you know, the the theory, you know, the concept of loss aversion, right? Is the the natural um, inclination for the client is to say, okay, you've now told me the best leads right? So all of the best leads need to go to the best agents. Um, And theoretically, that would work if the assumption is that the best agent has availability to work all those, right? Which is not the real world. So we've had to introduce into, so now what we do is we essentially, um, we we get control of the data. We, um, as a result of that, we push out this binning and ranking in real time of leads. And we provide those values and we provide some other values as well. Um, some, some values that are related to sales performance as well. We just provide the value. So we take all this complexity and we boil it down to a single value or a couple of values that we then append to the lead. And then from there, we work with the, the client themselves or the, the sales operation to say, okay, what do we want to do with this? 
And then the kind of the neat thing that we've done recently is we've actually created a simulator because uh, we've done enough of this now that we can actually simulate the results so that you have um, you you have some um, comfort, right? Because the, the worst thing you can do, and, and this is, I think, why a lot of people don't make a lot of changes in what they're doing is because, again, they're, they're loss averse, right? They don't want to make introduce a change because when you introduce a change, you could be really a lot better or it could be a lot worse, right? Or somewhere in between. So, um, so that simulator has become really important, but you do have to then decide what, what is your objectives, right? So do you want to have um, equity uh, amongst your agents so that all the agents do get leads to work on? And then you have to optimize, okay, how do I get the most out of the leads? Knowing that one, they're not 100% available. So that, that best case scenario isn't even viable, right? So if I if I ran a simulation that said, I'm gonna give all my best leads to all my best agents and they will convert at this, yes, that's the best case. But again, they, they don't have the availability. They can't actually work that many leads or they won't be able to work the leads as they come in because they come in, you know, in different, you don't know when you're gonna get that best lead, right? You might get 10 best leads and then you're gonna get 40 horrible leads, right? So, so do you have to work with, and that becomes a more strategic sort of conversation um, is what do you do with that data? How do you, and then you have to get into the distribution and the strategies and build out various strategies and then see how they perform and, and make those optimizations. So it is an ongoing process, but I, I think what you probably experienced is um, just, there is additional work to be done after you have the values, right? The values are super helpful, but there's additional work to be done there. Yeah, I think the mistake we had or the, the opportunity we didn't have more is working sales side, like you said. It was literally, yeah. we produced a score of yep. probability to convert and best suited agent they would go to. But then we didn't, it was just like deliver it. It wasn't, you know, oh, now we're going to be working in this element and doing right. X, Y, and Z. Um, I think that might be yeah where the difference is maybe. Yeah, I I think that's that's always... And you've talked about a lot of this, that feedback loop. I mean, the more that we can collaboratively work with sales operation, even as just straight lead generators, the more that we could. And, and unfortunately, because of history, a lot of lead generators aren't willing to put the work in. They're like, hey, I'm handing you a lead, you give me whatever, and I'm out, right? <laughs> but the more the, that we collaborate in there, um, you know, because it is a complete journey, right? Um, the, the better both parties will will do with that, whether it's just getting feedback, data coming back, or... Um, sharing best practices. I mean, I love the example that you said. It's like, hey, you got four, you're a lead generator, you're you're handing off to four clients. Um, and, and this is kind of what ProPair does as well, right? You're handing off to four clients and you see this, this fourth client is like performing like way worse, right? You're feeding them all the same leads. It's all generated. So there's a sales operation issue there. Well, when you have something like ProPair in there, probably Databowl is, is very similar. Once you have something in there, you can start to see those discrepancies and you can even up best practices. And then the question becomes, like, are you willing to, to kind of take the medicine, right? And understand the best practices and implement. And that's why I like to get, like, consultants always do better, you know? So um, so there's, and I'm sure you've talked to these you can't, guys. You can't so. be blamed as a consultant, right? <laughs> well, I think that's the key, right? Internally, you have yeah. too much at stake to 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 say what needs to be said sometimes or to do what needs to be, or even just take, you know, and so sometimes by putting in 
um, somebody like an SDP solutions or something like that, that has credibility. They come in, they say, this is best practices. They're working with other clients. I mean, one thing that is consistent, I think with lead buyers is they want to be competitive. So I, I never walk into a conference or talk to a lead buyer when they don't say like, what are other people doing? Right. Um, but sometimes it takes a consultant for the rest of the organization to support, um, you know, some of those best practices, not even just the, like the, the secret tricks. It's just, core best practices so yeah one thing i'm curious about is as you can imagine i've spoken to lots of people in marketing um over the years and when it comes to discussing machine learning there's always a kind of idea that they're interested in it but there's almost this like reservation or perhaps they're sort of saying yeah one day but not now maybe tomorrow that's something we think about um, and this might just be because we probably discussed this more a few, maybe three or four years ago than we are doing now, but do you find that there's still that resistance or do you think that the tide's turning and people are actually using this more and more open to it? Yeah, I think there's a couple of really common um, objections, right? Um, I think first and foremost, um, and this, this seems counterintuitive, it was to me when I first got involved with ProPair, is um, people almost have an ego factor with their data. And so the first thing we hear is my data is messy or like it's not ready or, you know, I, I don't have it. I don't have control. But but it is the thing usually that's keeping that person up at night because they know, especially with with with, you know, newer systems, these systems are pumping out so much data. Right. They're tracking every little thing, every phone call, every text message. They're, I mean, there's so much data being spit out of or available with these systems that usually that sales operation leader or that that marketing leader knows that what they want to know is in there right is in that data but they're intimidated that um and, and again it's it's almost an ego thing and we try to get through this is is like it's not really as messy as you think and the people that work on this data people like data bowl people like ProPair. Like they have people that are experts at like wrangling data and getting it under control and getting it into a place. And then the other, so that's the first objection is just, hey, it's just too messy. Don't have control over it. But it is the thing that's keeping them up at night because they know when their CEO goes like, hey, we bought all these systems, they're kicking out all this stuff. You should know how to, you know, look at the data and do something better. And, or they're just kicking out hundreds of reports. And then this poor marketing executive or sales operation is trying to go through reports and be a data scientist, right? So that I think that's the first thing that people get hung up on. And then the second thing is because we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning and probably some things they read, they think they need to be the expert in these systems. And so their first inclination is that um, the the integration part of this, the implementation is going to be horribly complex. And I don't have the engineers to do that. But the nice thing now versus maybe when this has been tried in the past is a lot of AI and machine learning is quickly being productized so that it is literally, hey, we've got some models and we've got some 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 base cases. We know how to take the data in, wrangle it into the uh, uh, an acceptable way. And then we can quickly produce an algorithm, um, a machine learning algorithm that can use that data effectively. And then all you really have to, to work with, and this is the case with ProPair, um, is all you really have to work with is I'm going to give you, you know, a rank value 
you know, or a mixed value, or, you know, we've got four basic values we give you. We're going to give you four numbers and then you work with your system the way you do. And you just, you use those to your advantage to do more sophisticated routing, more sophisticated distribution, more sophisticated um, performance metrics around lead sources and those sorts of things. So, so the productization of that um, is, is another hangup. They think they have to understand it instead of just understanding that um, we're going to take you through it. We're going to show you how it works. We're going to um, help you to understand machine learning better, what it can do, what it can't do. Um, but ultimately, it's been productized. So all you have to do is it's like appending any other value. If you want to, if you want to append new phone numbers. ProPair doesn't do anything terribly different on, on a technical implementation factor. It's just, you're, you're going to feed it. We're literally going to look at that feed as that lead comes in. We're going to give it a value and then we're going to pass it. We're going to append it and it's going to go through. And then we'll work with you to, to do intelligent things with that. But um, that's all it's doing, right? It's It's been productized. So those those are the two big, big factors that usually hang people up is, um, you know, my dad has a mess. And like, oh, this is going to be a headache to implement. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, it's really refreshing to hear someone um, talk about it in the way you are. And I wonder if the US in some ways is like a bit ahead of the UK, because as Daniel mentioned, I spoke about, we developed this machine learning product. Um, I can't even remember how long ago, but um, we had some real trouble getting anyone like yeah. literally anyone convinced to be able to you know we were trying to give it away for free at one point it was like <laughs> can wow. you just test this thing you know yeah. like and exactly what you said all we're going to do is kick a score out yeah. and i mean one of the biggest challenges we had is you know i'm not giving you any of the results back i was like we can't work with do anything without knowing you know we, we were like we want a year's worth of sales that you've made yeah. send it all back um if you've used like our system delivering it, if not, we need all the leads that led to those sales as well. So we're talking about a lot of data and they could easily access it. There was this right. absolute fear that I don't really, I don't know why, but yeah. Um, yeah, we really, really, really struggled to the point of getting anyone. I mean, it, you know, and I'd speak to um, dialer managers and stuff, you know, guys that were allocating data out to um, people that come in. And the, the conversation I have would be like, no, we're not doing that. And I'd be like, why? Like, if we can improve just by 2% and just, you know, we'll do it for free. They'd be like, no, you don't know this data or my agents like I do. And I was like, yeah, I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying hidden within this data, there could right. be something that's going to be like, you know, like yeah. a little signal that's going to show to you and then you'll, you know, be able to do it. And honestly, I, it, it's um, maybe it's to do with the way we were describing it. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, I can't tell you. It just got to the point where what Daniel said, we actually just stopped talking about it. We were like, <laughs> you know what? We just can't get anyone like for love nor money to be interested in this thing. Yeah. Um, it sounds yeah. like you guys have been far more successful in doing that. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I would agree with you. I think, I think um, lead buyers in particular, and even lead generators to some degree. Um, one, I would state that it's almost crazy that that both both of our industries are so far behind everything else. Like one of the things we always introduce when we start talking to somebody is like, what we're talking about today, we are like so far behind the times. You are surrounded by this, right? Mm. You turn on your TV and you go to Netflix. It tells you 
Like it's using AI and machine learning to tell you what your preferences are and give you discoverability. When you talk to your phone, <laughs> AI and machine learning is making sure that your phone understands. Like this technology is is all, I mean, Uber's using it to make sure that, that, that you get connected to somebody efficiently, even though there may be a, a market deficit, right? So this is all around us. Lead generation, even though we have kind of the best data for this, we're like super far behind on that. So that that is flabbergasting. But but I think some of that is is just and this is the shift that I think has happened is is kind of the trust in the industry, you know, because and I think you kind of mentioned this, you know, back in the day, a lead generator asking a lead buyer for um, data regarding current statuses of the leads. They're like, oh, you're just going to increase the cost of my leads, right? Because you're going to find out they're doing well, right? <laughs> and you're going to say, oh, I should get more. And I think we're starting to get over that. I think we're starting to get more comfortable with data um, inside of, of, you know, I, I think marketing is a little bit ahead of being comfortable with data than sales operations because sales operations is just kind of sales reports, right? Mm. And I think we're starting to get more advanced. And then, uh, you know, the other thing that, that has really trended differently is in this, especially in the mortgage industry in the, in this point in time, like every loan is a job, right? And so all of a sudden the sales operations are like, okay, we, we got to figure this out. Like if there is a way we've got to figure it out because we're in a moment now where there, there are no like slam dunks coming through leads, right? The, the consumer is tentative. Um, everybody's on the sidelines, but there, there are, there's still in the U S there's still, you know, projected $2.5 trillion in, in mortgages getting ready to be made, but like, are you getting your part? Right. And so, and I think, and I think the other thing, this is an example, and this is a U.S. based example. Um, but the other thing that, that bears in mind, and it's a different situation and cycle, but in 2007, 2008. So when I was operational, you know, inside of a lender, I, I was working with uh, Quicken Loans, right now, Rocket. Well, if you look at history, like what should you be doing at this moment? When that happened, they made massive continued investments in technology. And they went from the number 12 lender in the US to the number one in the middle of the of you know financial disaster. <laughs> so that's the other opportunity right now. The people that are leaning into technology and innovation and uh, getting just forget you know, buying ProPair or anything like that, just getting control of your data and using it um, intelligently is going to take market share, right? So. Yeah, I agree. As I was um, I was working for a company called DMRI, which is a lead generator at the time in 2008 as well, I remember. Um, there, I, there would be two pieces of advice that I'd give anyone when I would just remember back. So one is financial services did really well apart from the the companies that um had poor credit limits to buy leads anyway and they did really badly and all went bust from what i remember yep um yep. it was a really like stark difference between i guess the importance of building a brand because the ones that you know they just survived they could ride it out like you said probably made investments doubled down in the strength of their market share and whatever else and then they had all these sort of smaller companies i remember at the time um you know we there would be like 
um, invoices not being paid and companies going into administration and stuff left, right and center. I don't know whether that'll happen this time. I just remember it as a really stark thing at the time thinking, do you know what, it's only big companies outside of the ones that are already thinking of investing in a brand that seems to do well here. Right. I don't know if that's what you found as well. Yeah. Oh, no, unquestionably. I mean, and, and these things reconstitute too. I mean, just, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm very active on, on LinkedIn and you just look through some of the folks that are in the industry and, and look at the lineage, right? The, these, they, they reconstitute, right? And so, and the smarter people, you know, keep moving up and then take that, you know, the things that they've learned and, and the things that they wanted to do at other companies and they, they've, uh, you know, they've built up. So, there, I mean, there is a loss factor in there, but uh, there's a lot of talent that just reconstitutes into something stronger and better and, and accelerates or gets acquired, you know, into um, their, their clients. We've, we have the same sort of, you know, breakdown uh, in, in clients, uh, particularly with the agency, right? You see some that were, hey, they were great in refi when everybody was beating down their door, <laughs> right? But then as as Buffett says, you know, when, when, uh, when the tide goes out, you see who's, you know, not wearing swim trunks, right? So, and that's essentially what's, what's happening uh, at the moment. And, and the, um, the people that are stronger, more competent and, and have um, probably leaned into to data, right? And doing something intelligent with it. Those are the people that are getting stronger and stronger because that's, that's what you have to do right now. Just buying more leads. Um, isn't going to solve problems and you can't just hire more loan officers, right? In a refi boom, that's the strategy, right? You just hire as many loan officers as you possibly can. You don't really care um, other than, you know, they're a live body and you buy as much leads as you can. And and so in this market, th those two strategies don't work. So what do you do? You, you have to dig in there and figure out um, what leads are going to actually convert and what salespeople are going, are most likely to convert them. And that's a math problem. Yeah, 100%. Bill, I'm, um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, so apologies okay. in advance. But, um, <laughs> when, we have, when we have guests on, we always like to sort of end the podcast by asking them for some tips or some advice that people listening can take home with them and maybe sort of try things out. So I'm going to do that. But specifically, I want to come back to something you sort of hinted at at the start, and you were saying that um, people's behaviors are different these days, you know, but the customers are actually actively coming in respect and I think you have to sort of um, adapt in that sense to how you're approaching uh, your sales. Um, so with that in mind, have you got some ideas for people listening for a sales cadence that can try something, give a go and take away with them today? Yeah, I, I uh, wrote a post yesterday, just briefly, uh, uh, as we often do on LinkedIn, I think out of a bit of frustration, um, just watching some uh, clients and the way they're doing their sales operations. So the number one thing that I would tell all sales operations to start doing um, tomorrow is stop um, thinking about themselves as a call center and start thinking about themselves as a contact center. So to, to, to say it the, the most aggressive way you can, I think the phone call is dead, right? And so when you get a, a new lead, um, we have shaped and built all of our systems to do the speed to lead being the phone call, how fast you can make that first phone call. And I think that's completely irrelevant. I think showing the consumer that you're responsive um, and you're um, immediately ready to assist them um, is better served by making, and you can do this with technology 
instantly and personally, right? Um, I think when uh, when you talk about inbound leads, age leads slightly different sort of cadence, but for an inbound lead, um, the first thing that I, uh, if I were writing the script, um, would be for that lead to come in, uh, to be already, you know, use something intelligently so that you get it to an active available sales agent and you trigger sub-second a text message that says something like, which is probably true, that, hey, I'm on another call with a client, um, but I'm going to give you a call in the next 20 minutes or tell me if there's a better time. And that's a text message. Um, and then the next thing you do is you actually honor that, right? Within 20 minutes, you make that call, right? Unless they've given you a better time, a high percentage of those people will give you a better time. They'll say, hey, no, call me at six tonight or um, give me a, you know, or you should give them a scheduling link and they'll schedule an appointment. Um, and then the last thing that you do probably a couple of times, you know, in that sequence is is the third step is email them. Hey, this is all my contact information. This is what we're going to do next. Um, foreshadow the process. Um, give them all your contact information and give them the scheduling link. And so I think we should start to reshape our, our sales playbook um, to be a contact center. Um, and we should lead um, with the consumer's preference today, right? I just, I just recently bought a new truck, did the whole thing over text message, never talked to to the actual sales agent on a phone call, right? Did the whole thing. And, and it was it was convenient, right? I could pass him pictures. I could pass him links of things I was looking at. He could actually uh, send me a link so that I could, you know, configurate everything. Um, and he sent me, you know, the deal and we did the whole thing over text message, right? Um, so I think consumer preferences have changed. Uh, a phone call, your phone ringing um, is an irritant. Um, and so we still inherently, and you should think about yourself sometimes. I don't know, sales agents will act one way and then they'll behave differently in their job, right? So you probably don't answer your phone. Even if you're a sales agent, you probably don't terribly enjoy um, a lot of phone calls unless you know it's family or friends or, what, or that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's an irritant, but a text message coming in or even I'm a big fan of these. Obviously, everybody's got to figure out their compliance and legal things, but voicemail drops, right? Again, voicemail shows up. I handle voicemails the same way I do text messages today, right? I, I don't listen to a voicemail. I had to read it, right? And so voicemail drops are great, right? Because when you call, they're all going to be voicemails anyway. So why not just drop the message and, and give them that? They get to hear their, if, if they do listen to you, they'll get to hear your voice. And so I, I definitely think there's a role for phone calls, but I think the phone call now uh, is a scheduled appointment. So you should be going after appointments. Um, so anyway, that's that's something that I think everybody um, should change instantly. I think that's a really good point. And um, yeah, 100% right. I, you know, I've, I don't actually ever listen to any voicemail I haven't done for about 10 years, but if it comes through as a text, I would do. Um, but the other thing is I don't answer any, and this is much to my detriment in some cases, actually, because I've missed some seriously important calls as a result. But I don't answer any phone number that I don't recognize. You know, if I don't, I just don't answer it because I'm that used to just getting plagued with crap, basically. I just can't be bothered listening to any of it. Um, what I find interesting is, would you, um, is either that or put the appointment on like a form? Yep. So, you know, um, just to give you like a real quick example, and it's not in BTC, but we do have clients that will um, implement uh, calendars on. But on like the Databall um, form page where we go in, someone says, you know, I want a demo of Databall. We just used to have it where you fill it in because we were just like conditioned to like, you know, this thing of reduced friction, reduced friction. But then it was like, well, hold on. 
50% of the people you then ring at the moment the demo comes in, because we're like, go, oh, yeah, speed to lead, speed to lead, let's get them on the phone. Don't answer the phone anyway. And I think, well, they're like me. They're probably like, don't recognize the number. They're not going to answer it. So we just put it as a calendar appointment, you know, book a good time, whatever. And I would say we have a hundred percent like people show up now. Yeah. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's like an absolute massive difference. I was just telling this some, to someone, another technology provider the other day. I was like, you know, it's night and day between the amount of people we can contact now. And so the guys who put it on their forms, and obviously it's a big thing with intent, right? If you're buying a co-reg lead, it's pretty yeah. difficult to book a time. But if you've right. got a soulless form fill for a reasonably, you know, you, you know you're going to have to have a consultation. It's not something you know you might be able to do on text but you might want to speak to someone. Right. booking a time um or yeah i guess doing it via the text where you go speed to lead in instantly right. I, is yeah. the, the only problem with booking a time is it becomes a bit weird with the sales team doesn't it like the availability that's, and stuff yeah that's where we've always run i mean and i think schedulers are getting better and smarter and and schedulers are trying to figure out the whole concept of teams and contact centers and those so i think it'll get there but that's what we've run into um so one of the things when we're generating leads um one thing we we stopped calling them thank you pages and we call them next step pages because thank you kind of closes off <laughs> and we often do that with a thank you we we close off the sales cycle with the consumer we're like hey thank you and they're they kind of like mentally, for whatever reason, think, okay, all of a sudden I'm going to, you know, get my insurance policy, you know, and I don't need to be responsive or whatever. But um, so turning control over to the consumer at that point and saying, hey, these are the next things that we need to do. And if you're ready to do those right now, go ahead and give us a call. We generate a ton of inbound calls, which everybody loves. Um, the, the thing that we've wrestled with, and I, and I do think the scheduled appointment would be even more productive, but, and I think this is what sales operations need to work on is the technology to, to truly be able to handle that problem, right? Is so the, the schedulers are getting better, but it is hard to, to go into a single link and then somehow get distributed and then somehow find out the availability uh, of the, the agents, you know, for the future. So I think there's some technology that needs to be worked on there, but I absolutely agree. Like yeah. I, even just professionally interacting via email, like I always opt and we've done some testing on this too, by the way. Um, I always opt for the link, but, but even in your B2C, if you put in your email, and this is another little tip that I, uh, that I advocate in copywriting, the line is always tell me the best time for me to contact you or the most convenient time. Or if it's easier just use this link and grab a time. Everyone uses the link. No one, you know, I think salespeople are often like, oh, somebody's going to ask me to call them at seven o'clock at night. And I don't, I don't want to interrupt my family time. No one takes that option. Right? No one gives you an unreasonable time as an email reply. They don't, they just, they click the link and they schedule um, a convenient time. And, and you have, the consumer feels like they're in control, but you have total control over your availability, right? You just have your sales blocks, right? So that's another tip too, is just, yeah, the scheduling link you're right on. That's, that's going to be the future for sure. You can see where the issue is. Cause if it's like, you know, you'd have to wait 20 minutes, 30 minutes for the agent you want it to go to. And it's like, what they're going to do in that time, or they're not available. And it's suddenly the new guy who has no idea that what he's doing. And you're like, no, don't, he can't call. He can't call. But, um, I think one of the th problems as well is the, and I don't know, I, I think this might have been more of a UK problem potentially than US. I think you had this in the past. 
but is we've done a podcast about this actually is the fact that in b2c we need to start seeing agents a bit more like they are in b2b as in professional they can be left to their own decisions you train them to make the right decisions don't just treat them like a battery farm where it's like they sit on a dialer and just get a call because that's the only way they can then start to make these decisions and send the right emails respond with the right text you know start to really progress like conversations themselves and it's to do with the volume of um agents and the amount they get remunerated and their perception you know there's call centers i mean in the city we're in in um the uk in sheffield where you know they have a a hundred percent churn rate every month oh yeah so they'll have you know they have 150 salespeople all dialing like really low intent list data whatever and every month half of the entire uh call center leaves they get the pay packet leave they have to hire another load imagine the costs involved in all of that oh, yeah. the training all gone and they you know it's and really it's to do with the intent of the leads and the quality of the leads and it's to do with they're seeing the sales side as like well it's funny really because they're not seeing that as important and they're not seeing the marketing and lead generation important either basically just cost cutting absolutely everywhere right. rather right. than like you know yeah. lower volume higher quality no i i think and, and this is where i think you know i think these things like machine learning will start to to happen because I, I think one of and we did the same thing uh, you know when i was running sales operations we would turn uh 45 of our sales force uh, every quarter right and and a lot of that you know looking back on it now and even looking at, at some of the the clients today is because we we don't use some sophisticated uh you know data and ranking and distribution and that sort of thing what invariably happens is you hire some some top producers or somehow the top the top producers figure out how to become top producers right of their own volition they become outliers because they they've got their own discipline they've 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 got their own thing that's worked right and they get all the best right what we talked about earlier right and all these new folks um Maybe we give them training. Maybe we tell them to read some books, that sort of things. But then we just give them crap. We just feed them crap, and then we we expect somehow they're going to bloom without any you know fertile ground, right? Um, and if we can use some of these more um, things like machine learning that gives us true understanding of not only the quality of the leads, but also the availability of our sales force and does some equitable distribution. And we've seen some really interesting uh, examples of this um, with our clients at ProPair is that then you can watch these folks get better. You're, you're mean. So what normally happens, and we've got a slide that kind of shows this, normally what happens is you've got outliers on the top performing side, you've got outliers on the bottom, and you're probably not going to do much better with them, with any of the technologies there's something in there that's that's special or these people just just don't have the capacity to be better but that mean just moves right it all gets better because it gets slightly better um they get they get more at bats they get slightly better at bats um and so sometimes the sometimes just the lead itself you know helps them right nothing they did but the lead was ready to go so i mean if you're if you're really you know you're ready to buy a home or you're you need insurance right like you know, I just bought a truck. I need auto insurance right now. Like the worst sales insurance sales agent will probably still get my policy, right? Because I need it, right? So that's where being able to distribute those uh, 
leads more intelligently, knowing exactly what they are, you know, potentially can help you, I think, is better training than some of the, you know, sitting through PowerPoint slides and teaching it. Now, that's the other thing too. It's kind of a side rant for me, but sales training is all focused on the conversation, you know, linguistics and the tricks of the voice and tone and, you know, how I use, you know, um, Jedi mind tricks to get them to buy. But man, so much of the sales process is way before you get somebody on a call. And then no one likes to be played with like that, right? So it's like, but that's, you know, every sales book out there is how to use some, you know, clever turn of the phrase to get me to, to just, up good, good, just up good marketing <laughs> that will help a bit. But like... Yeah, right, right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of marketing techniques that need to be inside the sales process, right? So we, we're still marketing to those, those consumers, even though they're in the sales process, right? Yeah, great. Well, Bill, um, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I think it's been super useful for people listening and very interesting to chat to you and uh, nice to share some ideas. Um, yeah, it's been a great guest. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thanks. I love this stuff. I love watching you guys. Uh, so this is just, it's, I don't know. It's a weird kind of fun for me, I guess. Not everybody. <laughs> but you're, I the first, you're the first person that's ever said that. So <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> episode eight of Make Your Sales Operations More Effective. Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.